You're listening to Sibling Talk, commentary from a progressive point of view. Now here are your hosts, John Paulette and Mary Jo Tumer. I'm John Paulette. And I'm Mary Jo Tumer. We had a topic uh, planned for today that I want to get to because we've spent so many hours in our production meeting working on it. But our sibling talk research staff gave me something that I've got to mention before we get into the topic. I would not have known this. Do you know what the deadliest day in American history, the, the day on which the most Americans died was? Trick question. I have no idea. Is it, well, can you give me a hint? Was like the Civil War? It was World uh, War II? No, those good guess. Uh, it actually was because of a weather event. It was 1900. They were not aware this hurricane was coming. Do you know, 8,000 people were killed on one day in Galveston, Texas. Uh, and I remember reading a book about this called Isaac Storm, uh, that this one weather guy thought he knew it came. So 8,000 people on one day. You would have been right on number two. Uh, the Battle of Antietam in the uh, Civil War, 3,600 people were killed. On uh, 9-11, uh, so we, we remember 20, almost 3,000 people, 2,900 and some people uh, were killed. And then number four, deadliest day was last Thursday because of the COVID. Number five, deadliest day was last Wednesday. Number six, deadliest day last Tuesday. Number seven, deadliest day, last Friday. And then in number eight, Pearl Harbor came came in. I, I don't know why. When I read that and put it in that perspective as we're living through it, I was just like, I, I was just knocked over by that. And knowing that the worst may be yet to come. Absolutely. I, I mean, even within a day or so, and then the worst beyond that. I know okay. it's Sorry. it's a, it's very hard to to wrap your brain around, which is true of all big historical events. When you're living in them, um, you're thinking, "Oh, this is a big historical event," <laughs> you know. But it, yeah. it, the effect it has, and the other thing is that I've thought many times is, "What's that?" Um, I don't know who said this, but you know, any one death is a tragedy and yeah. a group of deaths is just a statistic. Yeah, <laughs> So I think one thing we've lost track of in the COVID is they're just statistics and their numbers. And last night I saw on TV this map that had like two months ago in the red marked the number of cases and they were throughout the United States and then a month ago and a week ago and then yesterday or this week, whatever it was. And the United States is just a swath of red from coast to coast. There's a couple little spots that are orange or yellow using those colors. And it was terrifying, actually, because it's it's outside. And we talked about this the other day. It's outside the door. But there doesn't seem to be, in current leadership, any sense of... Um, responsibility for that or urgency about it. It's as if it's not happening um, as opposed to the other guy, Biden, who I think does understand the um, 
very difficult space that he's in. Not even, it's more than a month from now, right? January 20th. 42 days, maybe. Something like that. So he knows all this stuff is happening that should be being done well and competently, and it's not being done at all. And for, for example, the distribution of the vaccine, uh, maybe that's being handled, but I'm not sure the Biden guys know what's really being done. No, no, they don't. And I, you know, you bring up Biden and what's really been on my mind, the first in a way and most consequential decisions a new president makes and that Joe Biden is making, who his team is going to be, who the cabinet members are, are going to be, because it it really speaks to what values, I think, uh, are going to embody his presidency. And, and also, it puts the real human beings there that uh, are going to be the ones making the calls. And we, you know, we have an unusual form of government. Uh, the cabinet in uh, a parliamentary uh, system might be kind of jockeyed around based on which parties uh, have the most vote. Here, it's really all the president's choice of who he wants to bring in. And we know most of his choices now. I I think we only have one or two yet to come. Uh, Looking at him, what do you think? What do you make of Joe Biden's first decisions? So to your point, and, you know, I've said it many times, personnel is policy. So you're right that who he's picking tells you what he believes. But a couple of big picture things. One is um, I'm a little tired of all the conversation from both interest groups and insiders and the punditry about well, you got this black guy, and then you got this Hispanic guy, and then you got this woman. I mean, for somebody who spent, you know, better part of my professional life in, you know, staffing and hiring and at the highest levels, when you get too hung up on that stuff, um, you don't always make the right decisions. So I'm just throwing that out there. I know that sounds like, you know, what a conservative kind of thing to say, but it's more just a recognition that you have to pick the best and most qualified person and trust that in all walks of life, there are good and competent people. So that's the first thing I'm going to say. And, you know, the interest groups, I understand why they say we need our place at the table, we, which is true. You cannot make good decision without, decisions without all the voices there. But it looks um, from where I sit like there are people that care more about the color of someone's skin, their national origin, or their gender than they do about actually moving the country forward. Maybe that's being unfair, but when I hear somebody say the attorney general has to be black, I think, no, we cannot play that game. Now, on the other hand, the one job that's out there, and I haven't heard today, I don't think Trump has made an announcement, but on the attorney general, and I was surprised that the top and leading candidate was Doug Jones. Nothing against him. But then when they 
we're digging into it and say, well, he's had a close personal relationship with Biden. So I'm going to go just a little bit longer because this is my other thought about it. And we find out that all these picks are people that he has a close personal relationship with. That makes sense. But I'm not sure that's the best thing to do either, because is he just hiring his friends? And is that any different than Trump just hiring his family? Well, you make two different, really interesting uh interesting points about it. I want to stay on the first one for a minute, but I want to get back to that uh, that second one. And I'd like to talk about Doug Jones in, in particular. I think both you and I feel uh, a tension, tension here. I mean, it it's really obvious, and I agree with you. You don't make somebody attorney general or any of these other positions simply because you want to check off the box of how many black faces do I have? How many brown faces do I have? How many female faces do I have? On the other hand, and you know, one of the signs of real intelligence is the ability to hold two totally competing ideas in your brain at the same time. And this one really calls on us to be intelligent. The fact is we do need, as Biden has said, we have the government and the cabinet look like America. And America has female faces, has brown faces. Secondly, we have historic discrimination that has kept these people away from, uh, these people is a terrible way to say that. I, I apologize for that. But that has made the table, the room happens in Hamilton's uh, phrase, uh, beat much white males. So we have to make certain that happens. And I guess finally I'd include, we know we will do better decision making if we have a diversity of voices. So you and I, I think are really in agreement of this. Our problem is how do we make certain we are not selecting the Secretary of Defense because we found a good black general and instead make certain we have a tremendously qualified person, but at the same time, make certain we have a really diverse government. I, are you yeah, in agreement great, on that, I think? We, we are, and I, and I think it's a good thing you said about holding two opposing thoughts in your mind at the same time. For me, I agree that you have to have a diverse cabinet, a diverse executive team, because all those different voices make better decisions. But I don't like a place where you owe me a black attorney general. Yeah, but the Department of Defense is such an interesting choice because, one, that guy is a general. So that in and of itself is an issue where the Department of Defense traditionally, and in my opinion, should be led by a civilian. So I know he's been out for four years, but he's basically a military guy. And is that, regardless of what color he is, is that the person we want leading the Department of Defense? Because for all those reasons, which is a whole other conversation. On the other hand, the mil- I heard this yesterday, that the military is 40% minority at, uh, members, the soldiers, all that. So it seems to me that um, African-American leadership 
at the Department of Defense, probably it's time and it's a good idea. So the imperative to to put an African-American at the top of the Department of Defense seems powerful. The question is, is that the right guy because he's military and do we want military running the DOD? And then we hear the backstory is that Biden met him when he was in Iraq. The guy asked a question about Bo. They got to be friends. And again, we're back to the same issue. Like, he's a personal connection of Biden's. Yeah, I, I agree with you on, on this one. And, you know, I have a little gripe on that one that maybe it's not even worth uh, thinking that much about. Donald Trump essentially broke that civilian precedent. Now, there was one time uh, before that. Remember, the Department of Defense is a creation of after the Second World War. Before that, there were different departments, Secretary of the Navy, Secretary of War, which is essentially the Army, which included uh, the Air Corps, the Marines are included in, in the Navy. And, and we came to understand during the Second World War that that didn't make any sense, that we had to coordinate this. So right after the war, uh, George Marshall, you know, one of the great Americans, his name is perhaps not remembered well enough except the Marshall Plan, a general. He's made Secretary of Defense. Total sense. Uh, and in the creation of the Department of Defense, uh, they had created this idea that civilians should run it. Good idea. That fit the history of the United States. But no other general ever was part of it until Jim Mathis. Also a good guy, I think. But Trump was the one who broke precedent. I dislike following Trump's breaking of precedent. And I... I have to believe, I think this guy's probably a wonderful guy, but I have to believe that somewhere there is an African-American civilian who is highly qualified, who could have filled that that job. So, no, I'm I'm not happy about that. Yeah. And, you know, whether he'll get um, through this, which is a whole other conversation, which we've not even got to. And here we're almost on a time. Yeah. And I do, but what do you think? What do you think about Biden? Like. You know, hiring loyalists. Well, I I didn't think that's what was going to happen. No, I, I mean, I kind of get on a personal level why you want people around you who you believe are qualified uh, and that you think you can count on. But there's also a lot of history. You know, look back to Doris Goodwin's book, Team of Rivals, to suggest that you should not be totally surrounded by people that you have a long relationship with and will tend to agree with you. Now, I'm sure Joe Biden is going to say, no, I know these people and they can stand up to me. They are not going to sit at a table like uh, Trump's cabinet and fawn over me. They'll tell me the truth. I get that. But boy, I hope there are some opposing voices there somewhere. Me too. Me too. Maybe Marsha Fudge, my, my congresswoman. <laughs> yeah. And we got to go back to that because I have another problem with when you only have a two or three vote uh, margin in uh, in the House, pulling people out of the House or, or the Senate. But I guess we had to talk about that another day. Yeah, part two. Part All two. right, bye, John. Sibling Talk is a JMP production. Theme song by David Paulette.